Welkom bij de podcast Praat met Advocaten, aflevering 4 alweer. Speciale editie vandaag, want ik zit hier met een internationale gast, Lamine Kadar. Onze pro bono en sustainable governance manager hier bij Dentons Europe. Hi Lamine. Hallo. En vanwege onze speciale editie zal ik ook zo switchen naar het Engels. Lamine, it's going to be a great topic we can discuss today. I'm very excited. What's the topic? Corporate social responsibility. Yes, it's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to do some explaining for sure. Sure. Um, but we're also going to talk about the, the law firms in particular, why they need to be responsible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excited to start. Are you ready? I'm ready when you are. Let's go. I just gave you a proper introduction, I mean, but I think our listeners would want to know who you are. Like, who's Lamine? Uh, sure. So, uh, like you, I started out um, as a commercial uh, lawyer, but in London. I did all my training in the UK. Um, and after completing my training contract, um, I decided not to continue in my commercial law firm. Um, and I decided to go back into academia and study more about human rights and business and the intersection between human rights and business. And then uh, after a while, about six years ago, I got uh, back into uh, the legal sector, um, but this time not as a commercial lawyer, but as a pro bono associate um, focused on managing the pro bono work of uh, another international law firm. And then three years ago, I came to Denton's where my role kind of became expanded to responsible business in general. And we'll unpack uh, in a little bit what that what that really means. But what does your working day look like? My working day, what does it look like? Like like yours, I, like what would you say is like the three main things you're doing in your, like just describe them like structurally, like Zoom calls, emails. <laughs> a lot of documents. A lot yeah. of documents, yeah, similar situations. So maybe a little bit less on the document side. But how does it look like? Because I know that you're Amsterdam based, but you sure. work for like Europe wide yeah. or Denton's Europe. Yeah, so yeah, so that is a really cool part of my job. And I think something that's maybe quite unique to Dantons is that while I'm based in Amsterdam, I'm working with colleagues all across Europe, really all, ac- all across the globe. Um, and so, you know, the kind of emails that I will be having will be with people in Africa, Australia, Latin America, you know, every part of this globe, everywhere we have an office. Um, which and equally, is everywhere. Which is literally <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I've lost track of yeah. the offices at this point. Um, so that's So that's fun. And I also get to talk to people from different cultures. And that's You know, I went to an international school, and so I really like being surrounded by people from all over the world. And that's one of the really cool things about Dentons, um, which is a big contrast with, uh, with certainly with the first firm that I worked for at that time. It was very much English. Um, so, so yeah, so that's cool. Okay, so if we talk about um, corporate social responsibility, what does it exactly mean? Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, there are thousands and thousands of academic articles written about this. Mm-hmm. Um, there, No one still really can give a, a precise answer. Um, the way I would say is that historically, corporate social responsibility was viewed in terms of positive actions of corporations, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can think of classical examples of a company building a school in a developing country uh, or a company setting up a foundation uh, which makes donations to support children, for example. These kind of positive actions that companies would take and maybe they would produce a glossy magazine and it was kind of a marketing tool. Um, and that kind of model of corporate social responsibility came under a lot of attack mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the 80s, 90s, 
more recently um, because it's seen as kind of purely marketing um, and not really getting to the core of what the business is about. Um, and so now, these days, corporate social responsibility really means two things. It means one, doing good as a corporate citizen, as, as, a, as a corporate entity, so doing good for the world, and two, doing no harm. And that's the focus today is really on the doing no harm aspect. So um, ESG, which is a new buzzword that you will see everywhere, means environment, social, and governance. E is focused on all of your environmental impact as a company. So on the one hand, what can you do to minimize your impact on the environment? So how can you uh, reduce your water consumption? How can you uh, increase um, or minimize your carbon footprint? The S is the social side. So we're thinking about employees. We're thinking about um, you know, consumers, and we're thinking about how can we as a company or how can any company on the one hand make positive changes for their employees and for those in their community and for all the people that they work with or are connected in any way to their business. And on the other hand, on the other hand how can they avoid doing harm to those people? Um, and you could, harm, you could think of examples of um, forced labor uh, in, in certain parts of the world, child labor, um, any kind of negative impacts on people, um, employee, whether they be employees or consumers or whatever the case may be. And then the final part is the G, that's the governance. Um, and that basically means um, things like, um, you know, the basic question is how is a company governed in terms of um, its ethics? Um, so we're thinking about things like um, bribery and corruption. And so that's the E, the S, and the G. And everything that we're talking about fits somewhere into that E, S, and G. So diversity and inclusion, for example, fits in with the S. Pro Bono actually straddles all three, but Pro Bono, a good example would be, what can we as a company do to improve the lives of those in our community? Um, and then Pro Bono is an, is an example of that. But still, it's like very important changes, But what, because when I started out as a lawyer, it wasn't so much as, as a topic as it is right now, or nowadays. It's become very recent, uh, very hyped up also. And what has been mind-blowing for me to see is that it's also become a topic within um, the lawyer world. Yes. And especially within the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, is there some explanation for it? Like, yeah. how do law firms deal with it now? Yeah. So there's a few different explanations for that. I mean, um, I think that the, the largest explanation, the most obvious explanation comes from our clients. Mm. Um, if you look at any major international corporation in the world, which obviously are the, the leading clients, uh, you know, the desired clients of any uh, top law firm, um, they are uh, taking these issues really seriously. And there's a multitude of reasons, right? If you look at a Google, if you look at an Adidas, um, they're taking diversity and inclusion incredibly seriously. Why? Because they're under enormous pressure from their employees, from their shareholders, uh, from uh, regulators to take um, issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion incredibly seriously. If you look at modern slavery, uh, if you look at ch um, child labor, again, there's legislation popping up all over the world about yeah. supply chain due diligence, yeah. um, and companies are having to take this seriously as well. Um, uh, so you could you look at environmental protection, same story. So the point is that our uh, clients are under enormous pressure to get their house in order mm -hmm. when it comes to ESG corporate responsibility, whatever you want to call it. And so they're passing that down to us because A, we're in their supply chain and they need to get their whole supply chain in order. And we're providing them services, so they want us to get our house in order as well. Yeah. And B, they simply don't want to be associated with um, business partners that don't take these issues seriously. Um, and I mean, just to give you know a, a very practical example, if you look at RFPs that are coming into law, to law mm -hmm. firms, 
you know, RFPs maybe just explain for sure. So uh, there's a re request for proposals. So yeah. it's like when we when we pitch as a law firm yeah. for business from different um, uh, leading companies around the world, they ask us a series of questions about our business and about our legal expertise. Now historically and to some extent still today, the bulk of that focus of those questions was how good are you in terms of intellectual property law? How good are you in terms of employment law? What deals have you done? What deals yeah, have you yeah, done, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But increasingly a large part of those questions is about how seriously are you taking environmental protection? What it's are gonna you, be that specific? Really? It's incredibly specific. Wow. So, okay. so just to give you, again, you know, very practical example, we um, are asked by some of our leading uh, clients in Europe these days, petrochemicals companies, for example, yeah. banks, um, to fill out 200, uh, 200 question questionnaires yeah, yeah. about our ESG practice. And they, they, it's not just a tick box exercise. They wanna know in enormous amounts of detail so this is the way the market is going and law firms are having to respond. And I predict in the future, um, because it's already happening in the context of DNI, that the, the leading companies in the world will say, we are not going to work with you, X, Y, and Z law firm, unless you can demonstrate um, that you have 30% women on your, on your, in your leadership, in your, in your um, equity partnership positions or whatever. Or if you can prove that you're, you're carbon neutral in at least 30% of your offices, whatever it is, that's the way the market is going. Um, and so that's why we're seeing this really take off um, among law firms now. Um, well, on the one hand, you're someone who's contributed quite a lot to pro bono. You've been involved in quite a few pro bono projects. But on the other hand- I love the projects <laughs> and I love doing it. Um, but on the other hand, you're now you know, a senior associate. You've, mm -hmm. you've climbed through the ranks. Um, and I wonder what is your experience of having to do pro bono um, do you always find that there's support, meaning from those who are in leadership positions for you taking time away from billable work to, uh, to do pro bono? What's your experience of that? And what, what do you think would need to happen for things to, to change ultimately in the, in the longer term? Well, I really grasp on what you're saying about that it, it's part of the corporate culture in that sense. Um, so if it doesn't come up from like the, the management side, how are you going to get the, the young ones enthusiastic about the topics as well? or behind the topics as well. But I think it's all about the, the checks and balances. I think if you find the time to do the billables, why not also be passionate about doing the pro bono or just, as you mentioned before, just doing the good. And if that takes up more of your own time, private time, so be it. So I think it's more about the balance and yeah. also daring to do more than just working from nine to five, yeah. you know what I mean? Totally, so I, I, com I completely agree with you and I see, I see what you're saying reflected in my experience, by which I mean that, um, that we have two types of pro bono champions. Um, uh, one is definitely more desirable than the other. One is like, is the person that's like you, who's someone who is a very good lawyer and is involved in a lot of, let's say, extracurricular activities around their billable work. Um, and who just brings passion and energy to whatever they do. And so when they do pro bono, they treat it like as if it's a billable project yeah. and they bring that same level of professionalism. And, you know, clients appreciate that, uh, the pro bono clients, that is. The other type of pro bono star is someone who maybe doesn't want to be in a commercial law firm at all. And so they're kind of rather using pro bono as a way to focus on something that maybe they do find more interesting. Those people tend not to stick around <laughs> in commercial law firms for a long period of time. But I, I, I think that in addition to what you're saying about bringing that commitment and passion yourself, it's also really so important to have uh, support from leadership and you of know course, yeah every law firm is 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 similar in that you will find some 
partners who are hugely enthusiastic about pro bono. Um, and they set that tone for their entire team. And you see that reflected in the whole team in terms of the professionalism they bring to, to the pro bono work that we do. Um, but there will be others who don't see the value in pro bono. Uh, but I think that in the coming years, it's, it's about culture building and cultural change. This is something that takes decades. Um, and, and it already took decades. If you're looking, yeah, decades. if you're looking about the cultural changes or the corporate culture is already changing, but like, are you a firm believer then of making it more mandatory, of, or putting it like more of like the commercial aspects to that part? Or I would I would flip the question and and, and put it put it back to you because I have there is a long debate among pro bono managers about whether mandatory pro bono is a good or a bad thing. Yeah. So before answering, before telling you what I think, I would ask you, <laughs> <laughs> I would ask you, you know, as a lawyer, um, if you're told you have to do a hundred hours of pro bono every year, um, is that going to, is that more likely to motivate you or demotivate you? That's a very philosophical question, by the way, <laughs> because to me, it, it comes back to the all you know the underlying question of why are you doing the pro bono mm. or why are you involved with the social responsibility? Mm. Is it in the end to do good? Yeah. Or are you just checking the boxes of like, yeah. well, you know, it's all for the resume. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I think it should be mandatory mm -hmm. because even if you're looking at from a commercial perspective, meeting clients' expectations nowadays mm -hmm. because it's all about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm of clients evolving and thinking about all these new um, moral values yeah. and that you have to keep up with, otherwise your business is gone. Yeah. But if you're talking about like the legal perspective, I think every junior getting involved with um, pro bono worker topics as social responsibility, still you're putting like analytical skills to practice. Yeah. Because yeah. when you come from like the university, you're told to investigate everything, you know, the memos of pages and pages long, very, um, how do you say it? It's not so very black and white, everything's sure. very gray. Yeah. And that, and then when a pro bono question or a matter pops up, you'd have to be very pra pragmatic about it. And you have to be very analytical about it because it's also, also can be a comparative law analysis. So I think it's also for the skills and improving your skills as a junior associate, I think it's, it's a work, it's a, a worthy exercise. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I see that in, in the pro bono work that we do that, that um, you know, it, it develops a kind of a different skill set and it allows people to move into different substantive areas of law, like human rights, for exactly. example, um, which they find interesting. But, you know, coming back to the kind of question of whether it should be mandatory or not, I think on balance, I probably agree with you. Denton's is doing quite well in the Dutch market in terms of our pro bono hours. I mean, not all firms are consistently recording hours mm -hmm. like we are, um, but we're, I think we're in the top three or four. I mean, getting back to you and what do you do? Like, what are the, the, the big projects that we're involved with or you're involved with? Sure. Yeah. So um, there's, there's a lot of really exciting projects and all around, all around the world, really. Um, I'll focus on Europe because that's my main focus. Mm -hmm. um, but one is related to um, asylum seekers. So we're working on a project together with uh, five or six other law firms um, already since 2019. And the way the project works is that we send 
or historically before COVID, we sent our lawyers to uh, Lesbos, uh, to the Greek islands, uh, directly to provide assistance to asylum lawyers who are working in the camps. And our lawyers were trained. They received several weeks of training on, asi on European asylum law. Um, and they go and they support with uh, interviews um, of asylum seekers to help the asylum seekers prepare for their first interview um, in the asylum process. And the evidence shows that when asylum seekers actually sit down and prepare with a lawyer, um, the, six, the likelihood of success of their asylum application increases by 70% or something like that. It actually has impact then. Yeah, yeah. so there's real impact. So yeah. we've been involved in that since 2019. And Amsterdam was the first office actually to get involved in this project. And we sent now altogether, there've been five, six, seven Amsterdam lawyers involved in the project, including lawyers from across Europe um, and the UK as well. Um, since COVID, it's all been remote. So the lawyers don't even travel to Greece anymore. Um, they just, they, they take the, they support via Zoom remotely. Um, it's really heavy work because you're sitting and you're hearing really harrowing stories of people who've been through war regions, they've lost family, they've lost limbs, they've been through horrific experiences and you're unimaginable, there. Unimaginable, yeah. Unimaginable experiences yeah. And, and you're there and you're having to take notes and you're having to take detailed, every, every detail really counts because whether you're from this tribe or that tribe, whether you went by this route or that route, it all depends for your asylum application. So the lawyers have to, it's, you know, it's, it's two hours of like really intensive concentration. Are you ready for the next segment, Lamine? I am, yeah. Yeah, in Dutch it's called uh, Vragenvuur. Might seem scary, but um, it is. Uh, I'll just fire away some questions, and it's up to you to just quickly to just give quick and short answers. All right, I'll do my best. Ready? Ready. Okay. EQ or IQ? EQ. Okay. What has been your greatest achievement like the past year? Just uh, surviving. <laughs> <laughs> and what has been your biggest low? Biggest low? Almost not surviving. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give like a, your younger self? Uh, have a lot more patience in terms of professional kind of career path type stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what advice would you give like anyone joining Dentons? Uh, bring a lot of enthusiasm and just a sort of really positive can-do attitude. That was it. <laughs> okay, that was, not, that was not so painful. But I want to talk about what you said about giving advice to your younger self. Mm. Can you like explain Elaborate. a bit? Yeah, sure. So, so I started out um, as a commercial lawyer in, in the UK. I went through all of the legal training, um, which was many, many years as it is in every part of the world to qualify as a lawyer. Um, and I, I did my training contract in London. I got to go to Singapore for a bit and Dubai for a bit. I was focusing on international arbitration and I had an opportunity to stay on an international arbitration in the international arbitration practice of my firm. But I decided not to because um, I felt that it wasn't consistent with my values. I wanted to go into human rights and et cetera. Um, and I did that. And I don't um, regret that because so many amazing things came from that decision. Um, but I also see now in retrospect that had I stuck on, you know, persisted as a commercial lawyer um, and climbed through the ranks, A, I think I would have been good at it. But B, I think a lot of the changes that I'm fighting to make now within law firms, within the legal sector in general, um, I maybe would have had more power to do as a partner within a firm rather than as part of the kind of, let's say, um, business support team where you still have influence, but it's a much softer influence and yeah. it's a much kind of takes longer to achieve things. Um, when you're a partner and you're bringing in money, you know, you obviously have a lot more say. So I think if I would have had a bit more patience to kind of survive through what is a tough 
you know, as you probably can identify with, it's a mm -hmm. tough period as a young person, particularly when you're from a different cultural background, to kind of make it through all the different and stages. And finding your own way. Finding yeah. your own way. It's not um, a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of these topics, like, you know, there were some partners where I, you know, I couldn't even think about talking about these these topics. Yeah, with them. or just even like creating a platform mm -hmm. where you don't even have to agree on certain topics, sure. but you can just have a debate or a discussion right. and it's out in the open. Yeah. So nobody shies away from discussing certain matters that yeah. for some are very important. Yeah. But even like that for me was the biggest change because when I started doing law seven years ago here in Holland, talking about diversity was like a non Right. Like non-topic. Yeah. It was something put on put in writing. Yeah. But as soon as you saw like a website from a firm and you see nobody else looking like you, you're yes. like, okay, well. Yeah, I think their feet are being basically put to the fire from yeah. again, you know, it's it's a it's a multi a multi-directional attack, meaning that, you know, young young lawyers are no longer prepared to accept the status quo. You know, mm -hmm. people coming through from law schools, you know, they see that there is, uh, to take an example of diversity, um, they see that there is diversity in their, in their, in their law school uh, classrooms, right? So they want to see it here when they get into the Zertas as well. And you see a lot of initiatives set up at the law school level, promoting diversity and inclusion. You see a lot of uh, young uh, legal researchers looking into this topic, specifically focused on the Zertas. Um, and sustainability as well. You know, th these are young people who are passionate about the environmental sustainability of our planet. And when they get into the into the office, they they want you know they they expect more um, uh, pro bono as well. They want not only to be you know doing a job that pays well and that gives them you know expertise and professional status. They also want to be contributing to the world. Um, and I think that that desire is just growing among young people. Um, I see that in my role. You know, as part of my job, I speak to the. Uh, growing number of uh, trainees that we take on or work students that we take on at Denton's whenever they join. And I talk to them about these issues and the enthusiasm grows every time I speak to them. Each month, you know, they want to know more about these topics. They have higher expectations of us uh, as a law firm. And they start to see that this is a business critical topic. This is not an add-on. This is not just, you know, a nice to have anymore. This is something that if we don't take it seriously, our entire business model becomes questionable. Yeah, actually. if you're looking at client expectations. One of the actually really big um, achievements of the firm in the last year, actually, is that during the pandemic, we almost we, we increased our pro bono hours across Europe by 55 percent, which is huge. Wow. Um, and all of that, almost all of that came from projects that were supporting the community during the pandemic. And just to give two examples, um, one example, we got involved um, in Paris in supporting um, a movement of people who were sewing masks mm. and we helped them to incorporate as a legal entity and to get all of their kind of legal arrangements in place um, and we helped them to expand from just a handful of people to a movement really across Paris of thousands of people getting involved in this process and funds coming in and supporting them um, in the early days when there was a shortage of masks. Yeah, um, so talking that's, about um, uh, timing and need. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then another exciting project was we actually worked with one of our major um, uh, clients, uh, commercial clients, mm -hmm. um, to support them um, to bring um, sort of infringement actions. And so working with a, a commercial client on a project that was clearly in the public interest, I think is an exciting way to do pro bono um, and something that maybe we'll see more of in, in the future, given that our commercial clients are 
you know, taking public interest issues more seriously and social social justice and environmental protection, etc. Yeah, and it also, I think, fits in the bigger picture of that it's so much more or just getting everyone involved. Yeah, like exactly. Buy expectations, effort. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if we're talking about um, the other side of, uh, of doing the pro bono work or social responsibility, what are the expectations that NGOs have? Like mm -hmm. what particular questions do they come to you with? During the pandemic or in general? Or in general, yeah. pandemic or? So it really varies. Um, um, during the pandemic, we saw, just like with commercial entities, we saw a lot of NGOs who were really worried about sort of um, financial arrangements. So yeah. they had made hotel bookings or conference, you know, bookings, travel arrangements that all had to be canceled. And are they liable, you know, force majeure, et cetera, et cetera. We actually, one of the programs we did was um, we had a bunch of lawyers who were just providing, doing Q&A with nonprofits and mm -hmm. helping them to understand how to navigate these issues. Um, but in in general, um, uh, most of the questions we get are the same kind of questions we get from our commercial clients in terms of employment questions, IP, yeah. tax. Yeah. Um, but we also do get some really interesting stuff around human rights and gender equality, non-discrimination. Um, and that stuff is the stuff that really excites me yeah. um, personally. And I think uh, I know that you also studied human rights um, when you were in law school. I think you did. Uh, I wanted to avoid this topic, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think it's something that, that you're quite passionate about as well, which is um, yeah. which is nice. You know, how do you kind of how do you balance that? Because you're on the one hand, you're you're a commercial lawyer, and I'm sure that while you know we're a responsible law firm, not all of the work we do is necessarily for the best in society. You know, that's just the nature of of commercial of real world business is that sometimes we get involved in agreements that are not always in the favor of the little guy. You know, is that something that you find challenging as a commercial lawyer, given your interest in human rights? Or is that, are you kind of more pragmatic and realistic about, well, that's just how the cookie crumbles kind of thing? Interesting question for sure. One, I had to just sell my soul. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's true that I started my law studies just with the ideal of wanting to make like a better world or like change the world. So I really had an interest in human rights. But um, as I was in my master's, I just, it wasn't a fit for me because mm. it wasn't pragmatic enough. Yeah. And somehow I just uh, got it in the law field that I'm working now. It's just the, the building practice. And what I do see is that when we're talking about like social responsibility, sustainability has become like a huge change mm. within project development and um, the building practice because it all has to be environmental friendly. Exactly. And more sustainable. So just being able to work on those project developments um, has been mind-blowing and amazing. Yeah. And just leaving some kind of footprint in that way. Yeah. Not saying that I did the entire project, but just being able to work on those projects yeah. and just, um, uh, you know, going around town and seeing a building that's very eco-friendly and exactly. just being able to work on that project just yeah. is fulfilling enough for me, for sure. Totally. And that's going back to the point, you know, earlier about, uh, what I was saying about I would have advised my younger self to be more patient. Mm. Um, that's one of the big changes between now and let's say it was, I'm embarrassed to say, more than 10 years ago when I was a junior lawyer. You're that old? I'm <laughs> that old, yeah. I have gray hair. It's scary. I wouldn't say. <laughs> but, um, but is that the, the culture, the larger culture has changed and corporate yeah. culture has changed. And you do see that, you know, I was involved in a pitch uh, literally earlier this week um, for a major client across Europe. Um, and uh, this was a client that 
was really focused on sustainable construction. Mm -hmm. And they were building net zero buildings now, you know, and that's their priority. And they wanted to hear from us. And that's why I was involved in the pitch about, you know, our ESG uh, credentials, how we, how, how do we as a firm take ESG seriously yeah. um, in addition to what can we offer in terms of advice? Yeah. So the, the market is changing and, it, and it, it's no longer that, I was a little bit unfair in my question, it's no longer that strict, either you're a good guy or you're a bad guy, yeah. you know? Um, that does, that's not really how the market yeah. works anymore. You know, there's a lot of uh, focus on um, responsible business practices and it's at the core of business practice. I completely agree. And I think that's also what it's what it is to say that um, you as a lawyer would also need to change or go along with the change, the market change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think our time is uh, up. I mean, I, uh, I had a really good time talking to you today. Me too. And I learned a lot today also about the corporate social responsibility, and um, I hope our listeners did too. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Anything else to share with our listeners? Just uh, good luck with the, uh, I always think in terms of academic years, it's September, but good luck with the new year, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) With the fall. Um, Maybe for our listeners, good to know. Komt een nieuwe aflevering aan, aflevering 5. Dus luister vooral. Tot volgende keer. Tot ziens.